Welcome back, everybody. In this episode, we're going to be covering my story of kind of different topics, being confidence, transitions to other sports that you may not be as confident in, and the overall team environment um, of those sports in respective uh, locations and areas. Um, so this one's going to be a pretty interesting episode, I think, because my from my perspective, uh, my traditional sport experience was one where I was way more confident. I didn't struggle too much mentally. And then in my uh, eSport journey, I tended to uh, struggle a lot more um, with not only my abilities, but also with the overall legitimacy of being an eSport athlete at that time. So we're kind of going to go into those things. I will let... Um, Ashley and Maddie do most of the talking this episode. I'll do my best to answer the questions that they have prepared for me. But uh, yeah, I uh, hope you all enjoy this one. Um, I will hand it off to Ashley to uh, kind of get me started and, and see if we can get some thought-provoking conversation going. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think this episode is going to be kind of different because I would say as someone who knows Zach personally, he's a very confident person. And I think you can see that in the story he's about to tell. But confident people can have struggles and have moments where their confidence falter. But that doesn't mean that they're still not confident in other areas of their life. But there's going to be times where it's shaky and that's okay. So I'm just excited because it is kind of different than Maddie and I's story where I felt like Maddie and I had more of a rocky start that led to us maybe not figuring out how to fig- how to deal with our mental game um, until we became consultants. Zach, I feel like, is somebody who figured it out earlier than us and just how that looks and, and what that looks like. So I'm excited. So my first question, Zach, is I want you to kind of describe your traditional sport experience. So what sports did you play? And what was that environment like for you wherever you'd like to take that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess like early on, my two or three sports of of choice were uh, basketball. That was like my main sport for a long time. Uh, Transitioned that into track, cross country uh, events and sports. And then uh, soccer was also like one of my main sports that kind of carried me through high school because uh, I ended up quitting basketball, and we'll probably get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for my most confident sport, I believe, was basketball. I I always felt like I had complete control of the domain in middle school into um, early high school. Like I felt I was uh, the best player on, on the team, um, no matter what team I stepped on. Even if I wasn't, that doesn't mean I was objectively the best. Like, it just means that I felt like I was, and I played like I was, um, and I was probably at my peak throughout that. Um, in terms of my my overall abilities, I I didn't I didn't set any like school records or anything like that. But we were one of the farther traveling uh, teams at my middle school, and then um, in high school it all kind of fell apart. We'll get into that. Um, and then for track and cross country, and then soccer. I started those a lot later in life, but I still felt really confident and I felt 
uh, I had a lot of belief in myself in those sports as well. Um, soccer was more uh, something I picked up seventh and eighth grade because one of my best friends at the time, he, we got really close at, at school in seventh grade and, and he lived right next to the, the soccer field. So, you know, it just made sense for us to play the sport together. So um, I was playing soccer a lot and then I ended up being pretty good at it. And from there kind of practiced on and off as I could, but I definitely practiced basketball more than any other sport, I think. Um, and uh, ended up carrying that uh, success in soccer through high school. I, I won like all defensive player of the years, a couple MVPs, that kind of stuff. So really enjoyed that sport, even though mentality wise, I was way more confident in basketball. Mm. And then track was just kind of like there. It was a more conditioning sport than anything else, but I ended up doing really well at our school uh, in middle school and then uh, throughout uh, high school, I couldn't play because it conflicted with uh, soccer. So the only thing I could do was field events and it just didn't seem worth it. I was hitting the gym a lot more in high school and doing those types of extracurriculars. So I couldn't really uh, focus on on track all that much. But yeah, that's kind of my traditional sport experience and everything ends at high school. I didn't go on to play hardly anything in college at all. So gotcha. So why do you think basketball was the sport that you felt you were the most confident compared to, let's say, soccer? I know you said you're, you were confident at soccer, but you had pointed out basketball. So I'm curious why. Yeah, I think uh, time. Like I spent a lot of time playing basketball. Like if I if I went home and and it I, from fifth grade on, like it was from 5 p.m. or 4 p.m. whenever you got home all the way until the sun went down that I was outside playing basketball, shooting hoops, uh, practicing things, dribble drills, like all this stuff, like kind of set it up for myself. I didn't really even like my dad would come out and play, but, uh, and my sister, but I didn't, I didn't, I would have done it anyway, you know, with or without them. So I just really loved the game and, um, I felt like I knew the game really well and soccer. Like I think, I was good, but I, I didn't understand the game very well. I think if I went actually on to play collegiate soccer or uh, a soccer at an elevated level, I would have struggled, um, mm-hmm. mostly because of my my ball skill and, and foot finesse and, and that kind of stuff I don't think was very strong. Um, I didn't let myself believe that, though, when, <laughs> when I was going through high school. I just was pretty strong player all around or thought I was. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently other people did, too, which is why I won awards and whatnot, but uh, I I just felt that way. I thought that was more important. I didn't even show up. To, <laughs> I didn't even show up to any of my award ceremonies or anything like that. I, I just, I couldn't be asked. It didn't seem <laughs> that important to me, but yeah. But, yeah. but your, your confidence in your ability is what pushed you through. Like, like you just said, if you were to go on to play soccer, you felt like maybe you were lacking in some skills, but even with that maybe lack of skill, your confidence potentially led you to winning those awards. Like you kind of just were like, yeah, I might not be the best, but I'm going to go out there and do my best. And it led you to some pretty cool successes. So I think that's pretty interesting and something that our viewers can take away is that how you talk to yourself, whether you think you're the best or not, and what does the best even mean, really, that there's outcomes that can come from that positive thinking. Yeah, I will say that I probably played like I was the best 
but <laughs> in my head it was not all <laughs> happy thoughts and roses uh while playing I, I was pretty hard on myself but i but that actually more motivates me than anything else like mm -hmm. my self-talk would probably be looked at as not a performance consultant's top choice uh <laughs> we'll say so but i i it works for me and i and i kind of figured that out early as well just kind of what what I need to perform well, what I need to mm -hmm. to do to get myself to uh, a place where I feel my um, I'm playing at my best or I'm my strongest um, mentally and also like you know just emotionally. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mary, yeah, I do you want to touch on a point that you just made too? And I guess this might go off topic a little bit, but it still like adds to it that our viewers can take away from is the fact that you said like you probably weren't speaking to yourself the best, but it worked for you. There's like four different types of self-talk that you can have, and we can get into it on a whole other episode, but one of them is like, gosh, it's not negative, but it's like helpful thoughts. Ash, you know where I'm going with this? Yes. I can't think of the words right now, but it's like it's negative like helpful thoughts or whatever it's it, essentially it's it is positive or negative but then it's like mm. performance enhancing or yes performance mm. declining i don't know if it's hurting <laughs> hurting uh, yeah, yes words are just beyond me right now <laughs> the reason why that we don't at least I don't as a consultant like to use positive or negative is because mm -hmm. again it can be naturally a positive thought or naturally a negative thought but it all that matters is it, does it help or hurt your performance? Right. Yeah. So I think that's what you were getting at, Maddie. It, absolutely. It was like, I, some people are not the raw, raw type, like go get them champ. Like some people are like, okay, you just played really bad. Like pick it up. You're better than that. Like some people play better like that. And that's how you got like more skill and confidence and everything is like, you maybe talk to yourself a little bit worse into a, unknown ear would have been like man that guy doesn't doesn't like talking to himself but for you it was like yeah that's what helped me out the most or helped right. me out at least yeah mm -hmm. yeah i will say to the it was more the tone i think than the message mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. my tone was very harsh like you know what, what are you doing you you're you're better than this you know type of stuff so it was more negative in in, in tone but mm -hmm. the message was positive because it, it you know, I was, you know, like I knew that I could perform better than that. I knew I could do better than that. And um, I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is the fact that like, I didn't really let my environment um, in traditional sport dictate stuff. Like uh, when I went home, you know, dad would, you know, definitely have some opinions and, and, and thoughts on like how games went and how uh, I could have been doing something differently. But in my head, it, it didn't matter what he thought. You know, and I, I don't know where that one comes from for sure. Mm -hmm. That's that's something I don't know if that's learned or I don't I don't you know, I don't know anything about it. But um I think I was fortunate that that existed for me because uh either he he backed off a lot easier and other people have it worse than me, or my mentality just um kind of carried me through to not hear what he had to say um about about my, my sport. So, you know, when you said, where did it come from that you could block out what other people said? I think it's personality sometimes. Like, I know me, 
I care about what people think all the time like that or not as much anymore, but I used to where like anybody else's words were law essentially. And I couldn't filter through like these person's thoughts matter. This person doesn't have my best interest at heart. So why would I listen to them? It was like anybody around me had an influence Mm -hmm. on how I felt about myself. And so Mm -hmm. that translated into coaches and parents and teammates in the sport world for you, I feel like you are very good and naturally don't care about what other people think, like, at all. Like, yep. you could care if people like you or not um, in a good way. Like, you still have people that like you, but you don't care if they do or don't. And I wonder if that translated because that was natural for you. You were able to do that in the sport world. Yeah. And um, I think the key word there is natural. I think... And, and I wish I had better information on, on how, and, and maybe there's one day that I, I can figure it out. But I, I do think that it helped tremendously. I hear a lot that um, athletes get into sticky situations or, you know, don't feel like they can perform very well when when they hear these other thoughts and all these other opinions and, and take those into what they're trying to do. So I, I don't know, I, I it helped tremendously. It and I think that I, I don't know what the alternative was, you know, even when in eSport, um, I didn't really care about what other people thought still, mm-hmm. but the environment was enough or different that I, I personally didn't want to compete almost. And I'm sure we'll touch on that uh, later, but those, those, those personality traits still rang true, I think. Mm-hmm. Maddie, were you going to say something? I got a lot of thoughts going here and I'm going to try and like put them together. Um, But my first thought is like, you're able to kind of almost tune out your dad's words and be like, yeah, okay. Like, sure. If he would have said something to you, you're like, whatever, let it bounce off. Do you think that has any relation to your confidence level in basketball? Like, do you think it would be the same if, say he had said something about your track performance, which not saying you didn't have high value on your track performance, but you were way more confident in basketball. And so you felt more confident. So you felt like your dad's words probably weren't, they didn't hurt as much, but like Mm -hmm. with track or with soccer, not feeling as confident. um, Do you think they could have affected you a little bit different or a little bit more? It's interesting because short answer um, definitely. I, I think I, I think part of me played soccer and track. Yeah, I would say, but my dad did track too, but my dad never played soccer really. Um, I got into it cause I thought it was fun, but I think a sub, a little part of me was doing it because I knew that there was nothing, he had no experience in it either. Um, and I think, I think that, uh, for track, he, he compared himself to me a lot. Um, and this is interesting because um, we were at a meet in eighth grade and he was telling me that he jumped a 15-1 uh, long jump. And um, I was like, cool, that's that's all well and good and stuff. In the meet, I I jumped a 15-1 and a half. And he's like, he basically was just like, you know, you got to go and beat your old man, blah, 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 right? Um, and that kind of stuff. So I... I, I feel like, I feel like it would have been different. You know, I think it's so hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, I don't know what I don't know. You know, like I, I've never felt like anyone else's opinion mattered. 
So I'm trying to decide, like, yeah, I would be a, such a different person. Like, if someone else's thoughts became mine, like, or and if someone, someone, someone could influence me that much, I feel like, like my myself now, I would try and run away because that's that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of like um, noise and and just it seems like bad feelings all around. Like, I don't want to give anybody that much power. I think I think for for me, I wanted to like have control over what I wanted to control and what my domain was. And if anyone else was threatening that control, it does, it just, I would try and leave or I try and go away from, from them. So if I let those things in, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You would be, I can't, I can't even, I can't even imagine it. It would be hard. It'd be really hard to like carry so much. And I was of the, of the type to just not, I, I'll just let that go, you know, mm -hmm. just throw it right off. If you, if you added to the backpack, I would take it out of the backpack. That's kind of how I always was. Yeah. I think in terms of like, does confidence in an activity influence how much noise people let in? I think yes. Cause I've seen it in my work with, with athletes. That was a really good question, Maddie. Cause I do think that's the case. Like the more confident you are in something, the less likely you are to listen to other people's opinions. Now, can that be a bad thing sometimes and you don't take feedback? Sure. But I also think there could be a lot of pros to that where you just understand your ability and other people's words doesn't change what you know you're capable of. I also think not only the activity, but it's the person it comes from. Mm -hmm. So there's some people like myself who, again, anything from anybody absorbed not helpful for some it's certain people where let's say coach says one thing they can take it parents say something they can't take it or vice versa mm -hmm. there's just somebody that on th their opinion holds a lot of weight in their mind yeah. but also i think you have to decide if that's helpful or hurtful because i do think that there are people where like when i when people ask me how to block something out, what I say is, okay, we need to con we need to block out certain people for certain reasons and keep certain people in for certain reasons. So for example, like if their parent gives them anxiety and their parent never played that sport, I'll be like, okay, we're going to like take their opinion out just for a minute, just so you could perform well. And then with coaches who are people who are supposed to know what they're talking about, right? Again, I ask that athlete, like, is this person helping or hurting you or do they give you anxiety? And it doesn't mean you don't listen to your coach ever, but during competition, if you need to block them out for a minute so that you can perform well and then take their feedback once the competition is over, those are different tools that I think people can take away. Like, who do you really want to be paying attention to? Who do you want to be giving energy to during competition? And it's okay that certain people, like don't make that cut. It doesn't mean you hate them or don't like them. It's just that you need to figure out who's going to give you the best energy, the best environment for you to perform well. Yeah. Uh, mine didn't just limit itself to performance. I'm this way in real life too. <laughs> if you ever meet me and run into me, you'll know that like I do things my way and I, 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 I'm not going to be rude about it. I'm not going to make you feel bad about doing it a certain way or anything. I'm not going to judge you for sure. I'm, I don't, I don't care. Like I, I want you to feel like you can do stuff in your way too, but I also want to feel like I can do it in mine. And, and I have the, the wherewithal and know, know how to do it 
on my own. So yeah, if, if you meet me and like, you know, you'll know that I'm, I'm the exact same way as in my regular life. So I've had a lot of practice being uh, very headstrong and confident. And uh, even if it doesn't work out, like I'm, I'm, I'm just as humble, and, like have the humility to learn from those things to the point that mistakes don't really bother me anymore. Like the, uh, yeah, it's just funny. I just thought of something. Uh, whenever I played basketball and then we were shooting outside and it was me and Beck, Beck would get uncontrollably angry if she missed mm -hmm. three or four times in a row. Whereas I was like, what am I doing? Why is it like this? <laughs> I'd always like just analyze like where I was, how, how feet position, and like go back to the basics, you know, and then be like, okay, you got to like chill, you know, maybe you're, you're rushing the shot or, or whatever and, and, and adjust um, and then sink four, three, four, five in a row. And um, I think I had like that intuition early that uh, kind of was like, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, to fail. Um, a lot and you'll just learn stuff like you just grow from it and yeah i think i trained myself every day you know it, i'm not just this way in competition i'm this way all the time and yeah I, to ask your point doing it in a competition would certainly help but i think practicing it everywhere as much as you can is what really helped me to like know who i was and know what i wanted and i asked that question a lot you know i asked those things a lot uh growing up even you know, what do I want to do? But where do I want to go? Which made it so easy to quit basketball. It made it so easy to go through those things. So. Yeah. You were an individual who had your own thoughts and it led you in the right direction that you didn't regret. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of things in that individual, you know, like mm -hmm. it wasn't just basketball. Mm -hmm. Right. I think there's like two words that kind of stuck out to me right there. Uh, control and fail i think um within your sports you did have a lot of control over not only like your performance but also your thoughts like what you just said is that your sister beck, mm -hmm, beck or, yep okay um how like if you would miss three or four shots and she would miss three or four shots she would be like super upset and get emotional or like be really really mad whereas you're like okay what am i doing wrong like you were in control of that situation and your mm. thoughts and stuff and so i think that's what also helps you with like your confidence is the fact that like you have control over it but then once you get to situations where you're not as in control you learn from them like with soccer like i believe um i'm just kind of debriefing what we've kind of talked about right now but like with soccer you didn't know that sport very well at all so you went out and you practiced and you learned it and that's what made you get the confidence through so you're like in control of your actions, your skills, and your mentality through that. Um, the second word was failure or fail, which is the scariest word that athletes hear, but truly it's probably one of the best words that you should start thinking about. Cause it's like, no, there's no such thing as a perfect athlete. Every single athlete in all of existence has failed at least once in their life. But it's what happens after the fact is, do you take that failure as I was terrible and I didn't do very good and I failed? Or do you take it as, okay, I missed this shot, but I need to build onto that. I need to hold my follow through. I need to breathe and decompress. I need to um, like watch the spin. I don't know, but something like you failed, but you adjusted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like that is another thing that I want to like get out of all of this is the fact that like failure is not a scary word. You should like almost embrace it, it at the same yeah. time. Yes, because you like you're not failing, you're not learning at the same time. Like if you are consistently doing a layup easily for the rest of your life and not challenging yourself to like an elbow shot and you're missing those, but you're like, I'm really, really good at layups. I'm going to stick with that. It's like, how do you progress as an athlete? And mm-hmm. also it's just like having that mentality to continue to grow, stay in control and like reach for the failures that you are learning through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a sec. Cause um, I think this is going to be more impactful than just to me. Um, I think like what I hear as the undertones for what you're saying is that you shouldn't judge yourself in that mm-hmm. moment. You should just be able to like keep going and, and move on. So like mm-hmm. just self selflessly, like what, I, I don't know how or why I did it, but what would be like an athlete that comes in, they're saying that they're struggling, they get really angry when they miss three in a row. Um, what are some, what's a tool that they could take away that like helps them decrease the judgment of themselves? Mm-hmm. for missing three shots in a row, you know? I have two ideas. One's my favorite. Whenever somebody makes a mistake and or fails and then starts that process of I'm no longer a competent athlete or I'm not a good athlete, I have them remind themselves of times where they did succeed um, because it's proof that they're not a failure. Um when you succeed, it's facts, it's data, it happened, so you can't refute it. But then a lot mm-hmm. of people come back to me and they're like, but I just failed, that's fact, that's data, so which one do I listen to? And it goes back to that helpful versus hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yes, you failed, but you've also succeeded. Which one helps your confidence, focusing on this failure and reminding yourself that you failed or reminding mm-hmm. yourself of the success? A lot of times people think that they're supposed to give energy and attention to failure and mistakes to improve and I think there's a time and a place for that for sure but not right after a tough loss or a failure that's when your emotions are heightened so if you go down that path of trying to nitpick your performance the the confidence will go down with it mm-hmm. but if you're in a like let's say a day or two after the competition when you're more refreshed that's a time to nitpick and figure out what went wrong in mm. that moment to not tumble down the I am no longer a good athlete. You can be upset that you've lost or that you failed. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, I want you to remind yourself of a time you did succeed so that you believe you're capable of doing that again the next time you go out there. Can it be in either order where like they can get really upset with themselves right away, but then like you're saying, remind themselves and then or can they in the moment be like, no, we're, we're chill. And then the uh, few days later, remind themselves of some mistakes or remind themselves of like things they'd want to improve. Does it work both ways? Yeah, I think it depends on the situation. So for example, I work with a lot of swimmers where they have multiple races in one day or multiple days. So we work a lot on when do you pinpoint errors and when do you pinpoint successes given what you need to be successful in that next race? Because I do want them to feel reset and refreshed for the next race, but sometimes they do need to learn from what went wrong so that they can do better in the next race. And sometimes they need to just let that race go 
and pretend like that didn't even happen. And they can debrief it in two days when the meet is over. Mm. So I think it just depends on the context, the athlete and the sport. I do agree a hundred percent with that. Cause I was thinking like initially when you asked that question, I was like, okay, in basketball, no, you can't think in like what, if you, if you fail or make a mistake, like in game, you had zero time to be like, oh my gosh, I sucked. Wait a second. I was really good here. You have to like flip the switch to go to like, which is also beneficial in its own sense. It's like, okay, I missed that shot on offense. Now I got to go play defense. Like that could be also your transition to like finding your success. Like, sure, I missed that shot. Now I'm going to take the ball back. I'm going to create an overturn. I'm going to do something really good on defense. Um, that I think is a good way to like help with the self-talk. I'm doing it at myself. Yeah. As self-talk is like, okay, I missed that shot. But it, like, you don't really have the time to sit there and dwell you have to switch and go and reset almost so and if you have a second I like the deep breathing and taking a breath so if a timeout is called after you just missed like two free throws you have to decompress because those free throws those are tough missing free throws is hard I've been there it's hard it's not yep. it's not fun mm -hmm. but you can't really take it back at the same time so you have to sit there and be like okay, it happened. Mm -hmm. Now I gotta, now I gotta move on. And then I think like a day or two later, looking back and like decompressing, I mean, like, okay, miss those two free throws. What now? What do I do now? How do I move on now? Like, mm -hmm. I can't dwell on the fact that like, it was so bad. I airballed one can't dwell on the fact. I just gotta be like, okay, I airballed it. I didn't use my legs. What now? go work on your free throw form using more legs like more of the what now taking it as like learning tips rather than that was not a good shot yep instructions what happens if like you're at the line and like the failure just pops up what do you do because i'm i that's never happened to me that doesn't happen to me that often but you know i i can see as someone as a data-driven player mm -hmm. that would be rough so like what do you do well i think from what Maddie and I both said, there's three options and it depends on what you need in that moment and depends mm -hmm. on the situation. You let it go because you don't have time to process it. And it's probably a good thing to just let it go if it was a mistake anyway, like move on. But you like literally don't have time to process it. Just let it go. Mm -hmm. Learn from it. So fix something. So I do think sometimes a free throw, there's an opportunity to be like, okay, I missed my first one. How do I fix the second one? But sometimes, again, you could just let it go, too. It really just depends. But you could, again, let it go, learn from it, or remind yourself of when you did it successfully so that you can feel confident that you can do it again. So, again, yeah, let's but the go next time you get to the line and you think about that failure, what do you – like, before you even take your first shot, what – how do you, like, punt that out of your mind? Like, I'm trying to remember, did I slap myself or something? I did something. I did, I did something that made me – Remind yourself of, of when you made it. You've made a free throw before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I think I also sorry, I like the I like the physical I do that as well, like the, the rubber band snap, like when you start to catch yourself like talking negatively. I tried my hardest to do it because it's something that you do have to practice. But um my advice or my tip, if you get up to the line and you're like, Oh my gosh, here we go again, I just airballed my last free throw like catching it is the first thing like you can't let yourself sit there and be like oh my gosh i missed it, i missed it, i missed it you have to catch it you have to be like okay mm. that's not helpful in this moment i have 
0.5 seconds to shoot this ball and that's not what I want to waste my time on. It's more of, I got this, like some sort of keyword or phrase or like even slapping yourself or doing your rubber band on your wrist and being like, not helpful. I got to like do something in this situation here. I can do this. I've done it a thousand million times before. I can do it one more. I missed it that one time. That's okay. I can do this. That that was always my biggest thing was like, I got this. I'm on the court for a reason. I can do this. That sort of like motivational self-talk in the sense where it's not like, it's okay. Everything's all right. Like the last one didn't matter. No, it did. <laughs> it did. It's why you're here again in this mentality. It mattered to you, but you're better than it. You're better than that mistake, clearly, and you're growing from it. This is another step that you're taking. Even though it's in-game, it's not like a couple days later, this is a step you're taking to make yourself grow from that failure of the last situation. So mm -hmm. I can do this. Try your darndest. If you miss again, you miss again. You're like, shoot, that's two days later. Okay, I missed two. One was for legs. One, my elbow was out. Like, just kind of... Mm -hmm decompressing after the fact but in the in the time being figuring out i can do this i got this shot this is nothing for me i got this mm -hmm. and speaking of context because again we'll transition to esport and how context is everything but back to what maddie was saying with like the context certain situations make failure hit harder than others mm -hmm. that game winning shot that you didn't make like oh if I would have made it we would have won but I didn't so we lost versus missing a shot in the first two minutes of a game mm -hmm. they hit different mm -hmm. but they're the same thing and I get it they're not the same thing given the context mm -hmm. but people miss shots before you did and it's the collective team's missed shots that mm -hmm. led you guys to be in that situation where you had to make the game winning shot so, yeah, right, you didn't yeah. make the game-winning one to help the team, but the team didn't help you in that situation either. Like, it's not blaming. Right. It's just not one person's fault. So it's like you're not the failure. The situation shouldn't influence how you feel about the mistake, but it does. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating too, yeah. Mm -hmm. That is a really good point there. Because you, you're right. It's like it's a whole team effort. It's not just one person out on the court shooting free throws the whole time or, like, three-pointers or one night. It's literally the entire team. So, yeah, if they're – tied or down by one that wasn't one person's fault that was the entire team's collective doing mm -hmm. and i think that goes back to zach what you were talking about in the beginning whereas like some people take what other people's words have to heart more than others and so i think this is like a really good i don't think i'm going on a tip i just think it's like a mental mentality to like think about further is like those people who are dwelling on their mistakes and their um, missed efforts and everything and how people's words affect them and like how they play their game. I think that's very interesting mm -hmm. and that mindset as well. Oh yeah. People who are around our context too. Like are your mm -hmm. parents watching? Are they not watching? You know, mm -hmm. it's, there's tons of things that influence how your sport experience goes, which I think this is like a natural transition into the esport side of your story, Zach. So 
again, I know we went on uh, a tangent about people who might not be able to overcome mistakes who have those challenges. And I think it was a really helpful one to go on because again, we want to provide tips and Zach's story is kind of different where he might naturally be really good at these mental tools. So to kind of dive into it for someone who might not, I think was really helpful. Mm -hmm. But just because your traditional sport experience was helpful, positive, you felt like you were in a strong place esport was a little bit different for you. So I'd love to transition there. And again, I just think this nails the point that context change everything. It can be the people watching. It can be the setting you're in. It can be the time of the competition. It can be the sport you're playing. And I think that's what we're going to see here is that into a new sport came a new mindset for you. So I'd love for you to kind of share what that experience like was like for you. Really quick too, something that I, I'm thinking about while you guys are talking and uh, coming up with some really great stuff is even throughout this podcasting process, we, we've, we've made a couple episodes, we've edited a couple things, we've noticed some process improvements and changes that we probably can make. And one of those like right now, and I don't know, I don't care if this goes in the podcast or not, I just want to call it out because it's interesting. Right now, as just because of that script, we have on YouTube, you have like those the bar for like the you can like say like this section of the video covered this topic this section covered mm-hmm. this topic you know what i'm talking about and when you're watching yeah. the video uh because we're doing the this thought out like fully thought out section by section now when we're editing we can add the annotations about what topics we're talking about mm-hmm. throughout the video so it makes the viewer experience better so mm-hmm. it's just fascinating like i'm really I, lo- I love this stuff a lot. Like, and I, I think I always just want to compound my knowledge and, and get better at things, which is uh, part of why I was successful. Okay, so let's get back to it. So in esports, my transition was a little rocky, I will say. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So I think what would be helpful for people is to kind of get like the background and then we can kind of dive into each one of these things. So... When I became interested in in eSport, I was pretty young. Um, I had been playing Super Smash Bros. for a long time. Like I played on 64. I had the NES before that, SNES. I was definitely a 90s, 2000s kid, right? So we had all these great video games growing up. And I didn't know that you could play competitively uh, until like 2006 or so. Like I I was like 10, 12 years old is when I kind of, started figuring out things um that like there's this this uh circuit called mlg which stood for major league gamer and it was this big event where like there were like celebrities on stage and just crazy stuff for this 10 12 year old to like comprehend right that you could do this playing games and like they had like these big checks that they would hold up for all this Mm -hmm. money but Back in the day, you know, we just we played for a T-shirt. You know, we didn't we, <laughs> we didn't really think about it as like a job or a financial like stability or anything like that. We didn't rely on it. And um, it wasn't until I got to my second school, uh, so my my mostly later middle school experience, that like I met somebody who's uh, like a brother to me now. We're, we we still have a phenomenal relationship. Um, and he introduced me to uh, this other world of gaming and uh, the sport or the game of choice um, that he wanted us to to go pro in was uh, uh, Gears of War 
two. Uh, Gears of War one, we definitely played, but um, I mean, he was more. We were more watching it than anything else. But Gears two was the game that was supposed to be the one that took us to the pro level, and then um, everything else came out after it uh, would just be gravy. So we practiced a lot. We played a lot. Like we did a lot of things, but the sport itself uh, of gaming didn't ring very well for my parents, um, which kind of in a way translated to me. Like if, if I can't tra travel, if they're not willing to put in the, the money and time that they put into traditional sport, I didn't feel like it was worthy of my time to continue down this path of, of playing all the time every day when I knew nothing could or would come from it. I would have to like kind of get out under from under their thumb before anything would really take off with it. And that was very demotivating for me um, to the mm -hmm. point where, you know, I, I rarely, I, I played a lot and I loved to have, like I loved playing cause like uh, that friend and I uh, had a lot of fun doing that um, together. But at the end of the day, I almost always thought about what is this for more so than anything else. I didn't really have any clear goals or uh, objectives or any milestones that I wanted to reach or anything like that. And I didn't know that like, I wasn't self-starter enough to know that I could have done it on my own through other means or different means. I wish I knew that then. Um, but I was still kind of under that thumb of my parents where, you know, there's a very traditional route laid out for you and, and gaming certainly did not fall into that route. Um, so that in tangent with like some of the, the, the environment of the team kind of made it very difficult to perform well. And we can talk about that part later, but that's kind of the baseline context, I think, for like why I didn't play well. And I didn't play nearly as much as I played my regular sports, you know, I, you would need to play 16 plus hours a day in order to like achieve most things because someone else is playing that much. Um, and I just didn't, I didn't, that didn't want to, you know, I really, what it really came down to. So, yeah, so that's kind of my, my perspective on, on esport. Um, and I, I did well in uh, single player games like smash. I did, I did, I did really well. I performed well but in the team-based composition games, like first-person shooters, wasn't really my my thing. Do you mind explaining, sorry, Ashley, right. do you mind explaining the team uh, concept for eSports? Because I know um, myself, I don't know, have a lot of knowledge when it comes to teams in eSports. So maybe just um, explaining for everyone else too, like what does it mean to be on a team? What does that look like? Um, camaraderie, what is that kind of like for teams in esports i think how it should be done optimally and how it's done are two different things so i'll try and touch on how i think it should be done um in when you when you start a round of whatever game it is you all start together okay so like you have a pot of like four or five guys or gals that all start at the same spawning point okay when you drop in the game uh, the there's some exceptions to that like fortnite and other things where you can like drop on a map but generally you're starting at the same spot uh from there you all have like designated like targets or zones so depending on the game i can only talk about gears to the most extent um there's zones on the map that you're playing on that are kind of objective in nature you're trying to defend those areas you're trying to capture some of those areas you're trying to get some of the weaponry that you can that spawns at those areas 
and all those areas spawn all those weapons and things spawn at a certain time so you're keeping time because you're trying to you're trying to you know uh, get to your destination quickly you're usually running up against another player from the other team that you're trying to pg circumstances you're trying to knock out <laughs> um you're trying to knock out for those objectives and then uh, you're also keeping time so let's say you lose the weapon or you lose the objective uh you have to know when that item or or thing was picked up because uh and call it out to your team because then the timer starts in everybody's head so you know that in x number of seconds after that weapon is empty it will spawn again so you mm -hmm. have to like be aware of that so in in old gears like it never really made it to that point but how you would kind of designate your team is some of the ones that were better one-on-one -on -one would go to certain areas some of the ones that were better with like covering cover fire or uh team dynamics would go to certain areas of the map together and then other uh, players would go to different parts of the map together based on those same strengths to to lay down a cross or or a lot of other things there's a lot of ton of there's a ton of mechanics into a game mm -hmm. but for the most part like that's kind of how the game breaks itself out um, and so are you picking these teammates or do they are they randomly selected and you just kind of know based off of who you've been playing with or who you've played against no 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 you you are pre-made five you're pre-made four or okay. five, so you all are part of a team you practice together you play together you do Got everything it. together everything Got it. together um you some in some places they live in the same house <laughs> they are <laughs> yeah they are that that like in in touch with each other mm -hmm. um when you're practicing so, yeah. that much you gotta live together i guess yeah. you right. might as well yeah. be yeah yeah those are like the org teams like teams that are like a part of an organization uh those are the ones that you know get paid to play like if mm -hmm. they get paid a salary like anybody else um mm -hmm. and that's kind of falling by the wayside now but uh we won't get into that discussion but, <laughs> but yeah so generally that's the objective um how i would say that the optimal play would be is everybody in gaming yeah it's one of the most outward arrogant places i think in that exists in sport you have mm -hmm. to be you have to be well at least in in gears you had to be very confident very very confident very cocky very uh you had to feel yourself and like in the mm -hmm. in the the most natural of ways and so in order to do that like teammates need to understand the most in those in that especially in that environment or in that game how to rile the other your other teammates up to get them to the point where they feel themselves or where they're you know there's a lot of like cheering there's a lot because you, you mm -hmm. know in in physical in in uh traditional sport you have physical touch you can like high five each other you can do whatever you can't do that <laughs> unless you're literally what's up you know right next to each other <laughs> you can't, can't do that you have to you have to do it over the headset so mm -hmm. we i mean there's a lot of emotion there's a lot of emotion in games and so people are standing up they're like yelling at each other yelling for each other mm -hmm. um, and you have to know how to like navigate and what each member of your team needs or and has mm -hmm. uh and that's really really important i think interesting yeah well it, it really does seem like and the only thing that's like coming to mind is what we talked about with basketball earlier how you would literally like talk at yourself like it might not be the most like um positive but it was for you whereas like you literally have somebody else in your ear mm -hmm. 
saying stuff to you and it's like, okay, is that helpful or is that hurtful? And it's like, that's a, an outward self-talk. So I guess not even self-talk. It's like somebody else talking at you. It's like mm-hmm. words being talked at you, but it's in your ear. So it's like, oh, it's kind that's of a whole brain. other like realm right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot like you have to, and you have to be able to manage them very, very intricately in very key moments. Like it's the most hype thing. If one player can take out all four or five of the other players, we call it a five, like a one V five to go one V five is like it. It's montage worthy. You know, Mm -hmm. people will post that on YouTube (laughs) and it's sick. Like to go, Mm -hmm. these are five of the best other players that you could possibly play against you know, for the most part, if you can, if you can beat all five of them, it's, it, it's the most instant, uh, form of, um, like satisfaction or like, or, or, uh, what, what's it like the word that affirmation or whatever. Gratification. Yeah. Like, like it's the, it's the fastest, like affirmative, like feedback Mm. that you will ever get is if you can one V five pros. If you 1v5 pros, you know that you're good. It like, and, and that's the hard part because normally like, nowadays they just lancer you out. Like, and we won't get into what that means, but but <laughs> back in the day, if they took that, if they took it, everyone had such an ego and has such an ego when they play that like you you would take the shotties out and you'd go you'd go toe to toe with each other. And it's mm-hmm. yeah, if you do that, it's it's so it's so rewarding instantly. Yeah. So you could really snowball versus like in, in, in basketball or whatever, they get an, they get a chance, you know, like they come up the court and then they shoot and then you go up the court and you shoot. And even if you hit four five, six, seven threes in a row or whatever, it's hype. It's really, really hype, mm-hmm. but it doesn't snowball quite to the degree that someone else popping off on you does. You just get the other team gets just completely demoralized and you and your team just get all fired up at the same time. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. you had mentioned that a piece of maybe where your mental game struggled with eSport was your parents' support, and we'll get into that in a second because mm-hmm. I definitely think that has a huge impact. But you had mentioned that in traditional sport, specifically basketball, you felt very, very confident, mm-hmm. and that's why you felt like you were successful. It seems like confidence is a main theme that you had to feel in, in eSport, to perform well. Yep. Were you confident in esport? No. Um not anywhere close to to what other people needed me to be, I think. Mm-hmm. Um part of that was the practice and the playing. Uh but most of it was I will say just outcome based. Um you you go into matches with some of your friends, some of your teammates, some of whatever. And and you don't play well, and there's so much more pressure on you to play well. Like, people would make comments that like, "Oh, I got I'm carrying the team," like I'm I'm putting the team on my back, you know, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Or like, what what are you what are you doing out What are you doing down there at the bottom? One and three or one and five? One and five is KDA. So like, you, you've died more than you've killed. Um, so it's like, what are you doing at one and five? Like you're at the bottom of the screen. And in my head, it's like, well, somebody's got to be at the bottom. <laughs> That's how that goes. Like somebody didn't get a ton of kills or whatever. But, but you know, it you that stuff gets to you because like you're, you be I be uh, because of the environment, I became so. 
uh, positionally based and outcome based. Like it became so about like whether or not I got a kill or I would throw like smoke grenades to hit 50 points to make sure that I got 50 so that by the end of the round on the first round, if we all died at the same time, I got 50 points so that I was, I was at the top or like towards the top. So I wasn't last essentially. And that's just not a constructive way of thinking when you're going into a game. Your teammates should have your back. You should all communicate the same way. You should all feel like it, like put energy into each other, not take it away. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, that emotion of esport got so toxic and hype, like hype in good times, toxic and bad. Where like if you if you didn't perform well, like people would break you down, mm-hmm. you know. So, dang. But you were able to block out your dad in basketball. Yep. So what was I? I understand because I can't block people out very well. So mm-hmm. I understand how that would have those comments would have been super challenging. But you said that you felt like you were really good at that in traditional sports. So why mm-hmm. was it difficult in esport? You think? Yeah, I think because the the ramifications of the game were different in mm-hmm. traditional sport. Uh, there's other ways to contribute than like kills. You, you know what I mean? Like you, so in basketball, I can, I can right. play defense really well. I could, I could steal a lot. I could run really fast. I could uh, get fast break points. I could pass really well. I could do a lot of other things to contribute to my team. If, if I failed at my objective once in, in, in a game or in a, in a clan match, uh, we would lose. Because like the the it, four on five is very difficult, and like I said, one on five is like pop off worthy, but four on five you just lose. Eighty percent of the time you're you're at a, you're losing. Mm-hmm. So um, if you if you don't perform in that exact moment or you take something, even if you the way yeah this is actually super fascinating, the way that you build confidence is by failing, right? Like that's kind of what we just talked about, yeah. Mm-hmm. If I took one-on-ones and lost, in my head, it was about trying to figure out how to win. But your team doesn't think of it that way. Your team doesn't get like doesn't care. You you've lost them the game, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can't practice failing the same way that I could in basketball. Right. Like, and I think that that caused that confidence. So, <laughs> for example, like. In basketball, they'd want you to take a lot of shots because it's yeah. like, keep going. Like, it will go in, right? And taking those shots from different places, like Maddie said, like, you grow and develop when you go out of your comfort zone to try new shots. Yep. In in this game, particularly, you couldn't try – you couldn't take risks like that because if you didn't succeed, which right. you could have learned from to get better, but if you did that – the team would be hard on you correct so you couldn't fail correct and like you 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 uh i'm an aggressive player at everything i play so i i will make this dumb choice to have more fun than or to enjoy the or to learn more about the sport or the game than make the safe one and just sit back and lancer fire i'll get bored i don't care Mm -hmm. i want i want to go in i want to make some plays that's that's what i like to do and Mm -hmm. Uh, it just sucks when the other team's better than you. <laughs> yeah. But I could, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about that. I just, I just wanted to make the play. And our team was so, and all teams were just so boring. It was just so safe. 
so like like i said i just didn't i didn't want i didn't want that style that wasn't me i, I was just on the wrong team mm. it's interesting there's a lot because like i am relating it a lot back to like traditional sports and it's going to be so much easier said than done because me personally i've never played esports i've never been able to put myself in like that situation but um i can definitely like, I'm not ignorant to the fact that it's hard. Like, I can definitely, definitely see that. And I keep relating it back to, like, in basketball, everybody's seeing you miss those shots. And there's, like, some may be thinking, but they're not saying it out loud. Like, man, this guy can't make a shot to save mm -hmm. his life. Whereas in eSport... Your teammates are. Yeah, your teammates <laughs> are literally, oh, my gosh, this guy can't make a shot to save his life. Like, so that's, like, a different type of mentality and like toughness that you would have to mold around and kind of grow with i i don't want to say like get used to because that's not yeah. the terminology i want to use but like grow with and mold with um and how we do that i think there's gosh ten thousand ways that we can figure out how to do it um and i think that's again easier said than done so Ash, what would be like your first steps? Because I feel like if some people were wanting to go on further, like say if that came to you right now and was like, this is happening, I want to continue. I have the desire to continue, but it's getting harder and harder. Where would you start? Re really quick, um, mm -hmm. I will say that the first thing that I asked myself in that situation, yeah, the first thing that I asked myself in that situation was, is it worth it? Because like a lot of the time, like, mm. like I said before, and I talked about how my parents made that impact or made that role or made that stuff, like it didn't feel worth the criticism. Mm -hmm. And like, like I said, I was confident everywhere else. Like my whole life, I've always been confident. I've always, we've, t we've talked at this, the, if you, if you, if you would have isolated Zach in a little box and just viewed him through the esport lens, you'd be like, oh, he's not very confident or he's he's kind of playing weird. But really what was happening in my head is that like, is this worth the criticism? Is playing a game worth sacrificing fun to get a job done? And I didn't feel like it was. So yeah. I, I, I don't know if it was a lack of confidence or a lack of will. And I think that that's a very, very tight balance, which is why I would say the first thing that I did and, and Ash, you can tell me if maybe you would have gone a different route is ask myself if it was worth it or if it's worth it to continue subjecting myself to the same stuff over and over again. Cause it clearly didn't affect my confidence outside of it. It was just in that context. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is this concept of, is it worth it? Um, to me, that's deciding whether or not you stay in that activity or not. And for me, as my role as a consultant and like kind of a thing that I try to really help athletes do is I don't want them to leave sport on somebody else's terms. I want them to leave because they just genuinely didn't want to do it anymore. It wasn't an interest. It wasn't fun. It wasn't a passion. They'd rather go do something else, which I think is fair. But to be pushed out of it by somebody else is what I want to help them avoid if it's something they really want to continue. And that's mm -hmm. typically what I see is I see people quit or burn out sooner than when they reach their potential because of somebody else, coach, parent, teammates, one teammate, whatever. Mm -hmm. So 
in that situation, if I were to get Zach in that moment where he was already asking himself that, he probably would have pro- he probably would have quit before I could have said anything. And I actually work when I mentor different consultants. They have athletes that are on the verge of quitting and they really want to help them stay and then they don't. And then mm-hmm. the consultant feels like they failed and it's like, nope, they already mm-hmm. had their mindset. Right. Let's say I got right. to Zach before he asked that question. So how, with what Maddie said, like, how do you deal with the, with that feeling that you can't take a risk that essentially you have to be perfect in order to perform well, or at least for your teammates to think you perform well there's two ways to go about it, and it depends on what the athlete's comfortable with. There's their own mental game, and then there's working on their environment. I always attack both. Sometimes you have an influence on your environment. So my first step to Zach would have probably been, can you talk to your teammates about how this is making you feel? Yep. Can we practice more taking risks to see how it goes and as a team be more okay with failure? Because I think with your one friend that you played with, you could have had that conversation because you guys were close Mm -hmm. like brothers. Other people, maybe not. And I've met teams who are so willing to have that conversation in traditional sport and some who are like, I don't want to talk to my teammates at all. So if they didn't want to talk to their teammates at all, I think, and this is where I struggle because the lack of you being able to take risks is where I struggle because I have a lot of athletes who it's the hesitation that makes them perform poor, not the risk taking. They're so, they want to be so perfect. And sometimes trying to be perfect means you're not really doing anything. You're not really mm-hmm. contributing to the game at all. You're just kind of not messing up. <laughs> and the not messing up can actually lead you to mess up or the not messing up can again lead you to not making such a big impact out there. So to me, and you just feel like restrained. Mm -hmm. Like how do you play at your best when you feel restrained? I try to help athletes find a way for them to play free in a constricting environment. And that really is. Mm -hmm. Yes. And just how to feel okay with that failure, even if the people Mm -hmm. around you are not okay with that failure. It's a, it's a good point because you're right. Like I think communication with my team would have definitely helped. And as a, as a risky player, it, yeah, you felt like you were playing in these confines that I couldn't, I couldn't adjust for, you know, like it's like you have to play this way. And um, if that's not my style, like, what do you do? And, I don't think it, I think having to play their way or the 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 way that most teams play mm-hmm. uh, also constricted the confidence because like I wasn't confident just sitting there and shooting. I was way more confident getting up and personal in your face. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. To me, the the most frustrating thing is when I hear like coaches or leaders say like the the team who makes the least amount of stake the least amount of mistakes is going to win the game. Mm-hmm. I don't like that because then it automatically puts people on edge. I agree that not every play needs to be a risky move. Sometimes you can just make the clean, safe play and it's a great play because it's clean and like simple. But I also think we have to make sure 
that athletes are free to be creative because that sometimes the best players are the most the best plays are the most intuitive ones where it maybe wasn't in the playbook, but someone saw something cause they have good IQ of their sport mm-hmm. and it just worked. There was no mm-hmm. play written up about it, but it worked because the team has chemistry and they figure it out. And I think coaches need to have the balance of letting athletes take those more intuitive risks to be a little bit more creative while also mm-hmm. teaching them how to play, play clean and simple because sport doesn't isn't always that complicated. Sometimes it is as simple as X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, Ash. So Zach, I do have a question for you. Um, when you were first talking and you mentioned like you got to a point where you're asking yourself, you said, is it even worth it or is it worth it? The first thing that ran through my head, like if I were to catch you at that point and try and help you and consult with you at that point, I think my first question for you then would be, what would make it worth it? And then we build from there. So I guess I'm going to ask you, like, what do you think would make it worth it? I think seeing a clear future in it would definitely be one answer. Um, I wanted it to be fun, I think. Um, If it was fun, it would have been worth it. It felt like a lot of times too, like that, that childhood friend uh, gravitated towards people with more skill rather than like trying to help people mm-hmm. bridge the gap between mm-hmm. um, not being good or or whatever. So he didn't like share his vision very well um, or uh, make it clear what his what his goals were and what it would take for all of us to reach those goals. Like I'm happy being a follower i'm happy being a teammate uh mm-hmm. when i know what the goal is when i know where what direction we want to go so i think a few of those things would have made it worth it uh, definitely the fun like if yeah. if i it's it's similar to everything i do if i'm if i'm a business owner if i'm thrifting items if i'm uh, on this podcast all these things like i do because i thoroughly enjoy them mm-hmm. and i would not, I would rather spend my time doing those things and this than literally anything else. Like it, I won't go out. I won't, I won't do, I won't have drinks with people. I won't do anything like that unless like, I think that there's a, a good company and, and fun to be had and, and that kind of stuff. And I, I don't find those activities in an, in a an vacuum fun at all. So I, I yeah, I think um, part of part of it would have been if I could make it enjoyable. Like if I didn't yeah. feel like it was a, a a job. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm literally I'm gonna start from one end of this podcast and bring it all the way around because it reminds me of when you start talking about soccer, you got into it because you're a friend. You got into esports because you're a friend. And with that, like with esports, no, with soccer, you learned through playing and failing and you enjoyed the learning aspect of it in esports i think that's the leg that was kind of missing was like you said your friend gravitated more towards people who are more skilled and didn't really give his vision so while you were trying to reach for that camaraderie that friendship that help it wasn't always there so you weren't learning at the pace you wanted to even though you were still in the game because you weren't 
able to fail like what we just talked about with your teammates being upset with failures so i think like that leg of your experience is what kind of hindered your enjoyment with it and i think if we could have found a way to be able to find that enjoyment and camaraderie and practice and failure which is sounds like a whole lot but like i feel like if we would have been able to work through that and find that you could have found more worth in it and continue to play and again find that enjoyment because being successful in your sport is so very enjoyable like it might suck the process every once in a while but like once you're actually in a spot where you're like oh my gosh i'm doing it that's enjoyable and i think you're like just missing a small piece to getting right there definitely and i talk about this all the time like i would do it again you know Mm -hmm. so i think and i think that's the indication that um, fun was possible. I don't know about regret, but I definitely mm-hmm. know that fun was is possible and was possible, mm-hmm. and I didn't have fun. And I talk mm-hmm. to Ash all the time about, I want to play something competitively again. And mm-hmm. it's turning into this outlet of of volleyball for now, because um, yeah. I, I probably will be quite competitive when we play. Um, but I never got to play volleyball, and I love that mm-hmm. sport so much. So. Um, well, there you go. But but esport too. Like I would really like to play. I would just like mm-hmm. to be very skilled mm-hmm. at a game again. Like, mm-hmm. um, but you know, all in, all in due time. It doesn't happen ha- have to happen today. It can happen uh, when it's ready. But yeah. right, right, right. I mean, the thing that could have been in your control that we could have changed is maybe who you played with. I don't know how much say, but I think about like traditional sport. People transfer a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something I would choose for athletes. Like I want them to go to a school and be there all four years, whether it's high school or, um, college, Mm -hmm. but sometimes people need to transfer because they are so out of their, out of control of their environment. And they know that a different environment will just be a better place for them. And sometimes I'm like, you know what, do it. If it's going to help you Mm -hmm. perform if it's transferring or quitting, I'd rather you transfer, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. So now that we've been talking about environment and we've talked about environment like 50 bajillion times in this episode because mm-hmm. it does have a huge impact, let's just finish this episode off with you explaining how your parents really not supporting, like thinking it was a real sport and kind of the world sometimes not viewing it as a real sport mm-hmm. or something you mm-hmm. can pursue how that influenced your decision with continuing. It sucks too, because you brought up a good point that the world doesn't. Um, and if you were to look at the headlines today, they would be right. <laughs> um, esport is, is declined a lot, but mm-hmm. I think that, um, I think that it should go on despite that. I think we as a community just kind of went about it differently and and in maybe a way that wasn't um <clears throat> sustainable um so i don't think it's the sport itself I, I think it's like how it was propped up so that's a conversation for another time but mm-hmm. i would say to the people that still play like don't believe that you know i think you can still earn money i think you can still uh have a lot of fun and there's a lot of reward to have um in esport um, you can feel like you're really, really good at something, and there's there's not very many other sports that make you feel it the way you do in, in esport. But for me, it 
it was difficult because like I, I felt like there was a ceiling on me. If I'm not able to go and play with the best, it didn't feel like I should have been playing at all. Mm-hmm. And that can be very demotivating um, when you're trying to make something out of it and try and push yourself to different limits. And they allowed me to push myself in other areas. You know, they allowed, they're like, oh, school, go ahead. And I didn't care anymore. And then, hey, traditional sport, go ahead. And I didn't care at some point as much in that either. Um, Mostly because like, you know, the whole scholarship route and the whole academic route, like kind of made it so that I didn't have to uh, try as hard to like get a scholarship or do anything like that. Or it wasn't really my goal to earn money to playing sports. Like I, I grew up like, oh, I'll be in the NBA, but that really didn't matter. My parents stifled that one too pretty quick anyway. So, uh, but yeah, I would say that like the, the biggest they they were a contributing factor to the to the motivation to play um and not only the motivation to play i played plenty without them but the emo- the motivation to improve my play mm-hmm. i think was heavily contributing to them because uh there was no point in analyzing anything and it just felt like i was just kind of wasting my time by trying to get better mm-hmm. so um versus like my childhood friends and some of the other people that we met along the way, um, they were older. The, they, you know, uh, they were 20 by the time we were starting out. So uh, they're eight years different or so, or six years or something. So they were more, so they they uh, had the freedom to get better at games and they had the freedom to, to try different things, whereas I didn't. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just support in your passion would have made a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, I think there was a lot of good takeaways from this episode. I think some of the big ones for me, as I just said, environment has a huge impact, but as you've proven Zach, that the environment doesn't have to have such a huge impact and there's situations where that's definitely possible where you can have a strong mental game on your own. And that's something that we strive to help athletes with all the time. But there's times where maybe that mental game struggles given the circumstance and that's totally okay. And I think it's just about recognizing that even if you are confident or mentally strong in some time, in some points, it's okay to still seek out help because there's going to be times where your mental game gets challenged. And so to have some tools in your tool belt to do that, I think would be really powerful. Yeah, the biggest takeaway for me was that if you had got me at certain areas, I think it would have made a difference. And I related to that a lot. Maddie, what what was your biggest takeaway? I think my biggest takeaway, so confidence is really hard to teach. It's a very like internal thing that you start to feel. And so I think like finding out what you need to feel the confidence is like huge. And like I said, it's a lot easier said than done. So like finding those tools and those steps to like getting to that point will be crucial. Well, Zach, thank you so much for sharing your story. It, I think there's a lot of really great points that I hope our viewers take something away from. And viewers, if you have any questions or for Zach or for us, please just let us know. We're more than willing to talk with you as much as possible. So thank you for watching and come back for our next one.